This week on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to teach you why good night's sleep is important, and we're going to teach you how to get one. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak welcome back everybody welcome back rich rich how you doing brother i just got back from the range my weekly range therapy and i am ready to kick ass on this podcast today awesome man awesome uh what are you drinking right now man uh truthfully well it's the middle of the day so i just had some lemonade (laughs) Uh, okay, Roger that. I I can dig it. What are you drinking, man? Uh, I'm working on a bottle of kombucha right now. A bottle of uh, GT's. Let's see. This is just original kombucha in the brown glass bottle, and I I love the ones in the brown glass bottle. They're a little bit harder to find. They're actually they're a lot harder to find, and some states uh, don't even carry them because they have like 0.5 percent alcohol. Um, I, I don't, are you familiar with kombucha at all? No, I've heard the name, but I don't know what that is. It's basically like fermented tea. And, uh, I had a, a, a former friend that used to make it, uh, at home, but, uh, it, it's, it's fermented tea. It's got a, it's got a really strong, I guess maybe a little bit of an acquired taste. Um, but it's just green tea, sugar, and you place, what's called a SCOBY, which I think stands for Symbiotic, Symbiotic Community of Yeast, of Bacteria and Yeast, Symbiotic Community of Bacteria and Yeast, which is this rubbery thing that develops on the top of it. And basically, uh, as you make successive batches of this, you transfer this colony of yeast and bacteria into the new jar of it you're making. And uh, that's that kicks off the fermentation process and it's a it's a pretty neat thing to actually watch it made and i just happen to like it i i i find it really i like the strong flavor i i I like strong flavored things like vinegar and and stuff like that so this is right in my wheelhouse and uh, yeah it is early in the afternoon here so uh uh, that's, that's about as hard as I'm getting right now. Yeah. Now I know where I've heard that. My wife loves that stuff. Yeah. She's always drinking that and she's tried to get me to drink it. And it smells, uh, such that I want nothing to do with it, but, uh, but that's, there's no alcohol to that, is there? Or there's a little bit, right? Well, like I was just saying, the, the ones in the brown glass bottle in some States, you have to buy it in the beer case or they have to display it in the beer case. And in some States, they don't even allow it to be sold because it has like half a percent of alcohol in it. But, uh, I mean, it's like you, you, you could drink four bottles of this stuff and and not even notice it. And four bottles is a lot like no, nobody's sitting around slamming this stuff. Uh, I, I generally drink, I don't know, one every couple of days or something. I, I don't drink soda. Um, so this is a little, I guess, a little break from drinking water throughout the day. No, good deal. I, I, I dig it. And I know my wife likes that. There's a lot of health benefits to that stuff as I understand. So maybe good for gut bacteria or what? 
Yeah, so, so they say uh, it's supposed to have a ton of probiotics in it. And as a matter of fact, this bottle will tell you, I think there's, I think there might be some numbers on here about how many billion, uh, uh, yeah, bacillus coagulans, GBI-306086, 1 billion organisms, Espilardi, 1 billion organisms, uh, and so on and so forth. That it, It's supposed to have some benefit on the health of your gut fauna and probiotics is still a pretty unresearched field whether whether those things actually survive in your stomach long enough to make it into your uh your lower gut or not is is kind of up for debate but um is it glut, is it gut fauna or should it be glut gut flora It'd be flora wouldn't it uh i think it's fauna because it's uh it's it's actual animals it's not ah, yeah, there, you're right, right. Yeah, which is an interesting thing, and man, we should probably talk about that one day. But uh, here's the fact of the day: five to ten pounds of your body is other animals that habitate on or inside your body, and those there are actually more foreign cells inside your body than your body has its own cells. Meaning there are more foreign organisms living symbiotically with you. Then there are cells in your body. Then there is you. Yeah. 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 I crazy. heard that. I mean, literally like a 10 to 1 ratio. It's, it's insane. You're not really you. You're this other organism. Uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, you're, you're the support system for this massive community of other animals that live inside you. It, that's crazy when you really stop to think about that. And probiotics is still... A, we're a little bit off topic here, but we're not too far afield because I, I think, uh, you know, hydration and gut health and, and just like kind of the healthiness of your food probably contributes to sleep, which we're going to talk about. But uh, probiotics is is kind of an emerging field. Um, it's it, it, we've always had this aversion to bacteria or, or since we've known about it of, oh, just give antibiotics for everything, kill everything. If it's in there and it's not you, it's not good. And now, uh, now we're realizing that's not the case at all. Are you familiar with fecal matter transplants? Fecal transplant? No. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. So yeah, people that, people that have, uh, had, you know, like major complications of medical issues and have to get just bolus after bolus after bolus of antibiotics, it basically wipes out all their gut flana, fauna, gut flora, fauna, gut fauna. Now I'm getting confused. <laughs> they get really, really sick and they have a really hard time recovering. So they will take some fecal matter from a family member. Uh, they basically, <laughs> there's a whole episode of stuff you should know about this process. They basically mix it into like a milkshake uh, type slurry in a blender, uh, insert a nasal tube uh, that goes up through your nose and down into your stomach and pump that stuff into you to basically recolonize all that bacteria in there, that, which is wild, man. Yeah. The, uh, who was the guy that actually took some uh, fecal matter from a hunter-gatherer tribe, crushed it up and put it up his own rectum to, to give himself the, the gut fauna of a of, of a hunter gatherer. Are you familiar with that? I am not familiar with that, but I like it. I like the. It sounds neat. I don't know that I would do it, but it certainly sounds interesting. I'd like to know what his results were too. Yeah, who knows? All right, man. So uh, we got a good show today. I'm really excited about it. Sleep is something that I think a, a lot of people. 
don't put enough time and interest into. It's just something they do, and they don't think much about it, and then they wonder why they don't sleep as good as they could or should. So how do we want to start this thing? Yeah, and and everybody I know uh, would basically agree with the statement that after you're 30 years old, there is never a time when you're not at least a little bit tired. Like uh, everybody... Everybody I know complains about being tired, never getting enough rest. So let's talk about why is sleep important. And sleep effects, it's a systemic thing, and we still don't fully understand what happens during sleep and why we need it. And, and uh, it's still kind of, kind of a frontier of medical science. But uh, we know that sleep impacts focus and performance. The U.S. Navy did a big study on that because the Navy uh, has had this system of you work, uh, I think it's five hours, and then you have 10 hours off, and then you, it's kind of a swing shift type deal when you're on a ship because that shift has to be operating 100% of the time with the absolute minimum number of personnel. So they figured out how to maximize that. And what that did is basically put, Everyone on that ship sleeping, they they would have 10 hours in a row off. But the problem is they didn't have the same 10 hours every day and they lost a lot of sleep. So the Navy moved to a circadian rhythm type system where you get you get less time off in a big chunk, but it's at the same time every single day. So what that means or what they found is that sailors who were on that circadian rhythm system, and we'll explain circadian rhythm in a moment, uh, actually worked about 30% faster and about 40 to 50% more accurately and precisely sleeping at the same time every single day. We'll, we'll talk about why that is in a little while. Your body wants to sleep at the same time, but focus and performance, your memory uh, starts to decrease if you're not getting enough sleep, uh, your mood declines, and you have a lowered ability to deal with uh, external stress factors. Uh, this is probably a factor in at least some mental health issues. It impacts your immune system. It impacts recovery. If you're, if you're working out and you're not getting enough sleep, this definitely has a huge impact on your recovery. It can lower your sex drive. Uh, and in, in doing some research for the show, I found that, uh, not getting enough sleep is actually really, really closely linked to Alzheimer's disease. It's linked to diabetes, uh, all, all sorts of chronic conditions, just from the fact of not getting enough sleep. I'm actually not surprised at any of that. Uh, I have uh, always valued my sleep, and I know my wife and I have taken our sleep hygiene to the next level. And like I said, man, I'm, I'm interested in this. You know, another thing, uh, you know, you and I have been in the Marine Corps for as long as we were. You know, we always had to be physically fit, and physical fitness was something we just did as part of our daily lives. And I'll tell you that, your ability to recover is significantly uh, reduced if you don't uh, get that sleep. So, again, if you're out there and you're listening to this and, you, and you're stuck on a, a plateau of working out, maybe you're not sleeping enough. could be as simple as that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, man. I could not agree more with that. And I've always found sleep really valuable, too. I'm the guy that says when I go to the field for a week, uh, I need one MRE and one canteen of water and nine hours of sleep every single night. Like I'll be fine if I've got, if I've got that sleep, uh, as soon as my sleep dips down five minutes below that, uh, uh, I, I cease to, <laughs> I basically cease to function, which I'm being a little bit, uh, 
a little bit silly, but I really, really value my sleep. So there's two big factors to sleep. And boy, I think people miss the boat on this all the time. There's quantity, which is how much sleep you get, uh, you know, and I think most Americans are probably working somewhere around six hours of sleep a night. Uh, pretty much every medical professional with an interest in sleep or that has studied sleep will tell you, you need about eight hours a night. And self-serving bias, everybody thinks they are the exception to that rule. The other facet of this is the qualitative aspect of sleep. And this gets overlooked a lot, but there are some indicators we can look for, and you'll see some of those emerge as we start to go through some of these things. But your, your sleep should, generally speaking, be good sleep. You should be going through those multiple REM cycles, and, and you basically move in this pattern of very light sleep to very deep sleep, back out to very light sleep, and so on throughout the night. And you should there is a certain number of those cycles you, you should get. It varies a little bit for every person, but you need to get quality sleep. Just laying down and closing your eyes for eight hours and tossing and turning and not cycling through those phases is not really doing it. No, that's absolutely right. And I like what you said about most Americans uh, and the quantity issue. And everybody thinks they're the outlier, and, and that's absolutely nonsense. I had a a commander in the Marine Corps who shall remain nameless. He was a really good dude, but he um, he was one of these guys that bragged about getting three to four hours a night and then wondered why, you know, his physical performance wasn't that good. He was suffering, suffering from some significant PTSD, um, and he would just pound monsters all day long, you know, the monster energy drinks. And I'm like, dude. And, of course, he outranks me by a zillion ranks, and I can't tell him, like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? You know, get some freaking sleep. You're not special. The reason that you're suffering like you are and having to drink these damn poison all day long is because you're not getting enough freaking sleep. Well, I'll just say it, man. My... My mother um, will sit on the couch playing, you know, games on Facebook until two in the morning. And literally, man, if I go over there and uh, uh, for like a weekend or something, go up there to to hang out for a little while, (laughs) she will be sitting on the couch dozing off, but will refuse to go to bed. Uh, and then the next day we'll, and she will, we'll talk about this later, but drink coffee, at, like put on a pot of coffee at seven o'clock at night and then complain about how tired she is all the time. But she, you, you cannot tell her that drinking coffee before bed and staying up too late is the problem. She will not hear it. My dad's the same way. And I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. My dad lives in a house uh, on our property, on the farm we have here. So and that guy was telling me uh, the other morning he came over for coffee and he said, yeah, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. I was passed out on my desk and he sits there playing Sudoku, uh, literally with a pencil on his desk until he just passes out, falls face first asleep. And then he'll, you know, he's got the TV running, he's got the lights all on, and then he sits in the chair for an hour or so. Then at four o'clock in the morning, he'll go and lay down in the bed for like two and a half hours and get up and come over here. And I'm like, and you wonder why you, you're just wrecked. I mean, he's a physical wreck. I'm like, well, you can't do that, man, at any age, let alone our parents' age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it goes, I think on the notes it says don't be a badass, right? That's what we're talking about. Yep, don't be a badass. Don't, don't think, don't fall prey to the self-serving bias that you are the exception to this rule. 
somebody out there probably is, and somebody probably feels fine and has amazing health at six hours a night, but I'll tell you, the vast majority of us don't, and odds are, it ain't you, man. No, it's not, and uh, the long-term damage to your health is is not worth it, and what we're going to talk about here, I think that if you if you give what we're going to tell you in this episode a chance and do it for one month, I guarantee you, man, you're going to feel better, you're going to fuck better, you're going to work out better if you do jujitsu, man, your roles are going to be stronger, everything about it, every, every aspect of your life just about is going to improve, your cognitive ability, your ability to process information, I think you'll, the, this episode is going to really pay you dividends if you follow it. Well, Rich, that, that's like I've heard people say about exercise. Exercise, it boosts your testosterone, gives you more stamina, it gives you more strength, it improves your overall. I, I mean, obviously, assuming you're not like ripping your shoulders out of joint doing snatch and cleans or something, it improves your overall health. Exercise makes your life better literally in every possible way. It improves your cognitive function. And sleep is the same way. And all of these things are kind of tied together. We can't say, I'm going to eat like shit. I'm not going to work out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to do anything else, but I'm going to sleep good and, and get that net benefit from that. And maybe we should roll this into like kind of a general well-being and health suite of episodes. But this is just one component of it. And we're about to hit on a bunch of things that you can do to help yourself get a better night's sleep. Um, so we've talked about why this is really important. I also think it's kind of a, a important to understand the circadian rhythm and, and what it is. So the circadian rhythm is basically your body's own uh, rhythm, and we think of it as being in the brain. We think of it as we get sleepy in the brain, but when it's time to go to bed, a lot of other physiological changes start taking place in the in the body with a lot of your other organs. That's why when you go to sleep your body temperature drops and uh, a, a lot of other changes start to happen throughout your body. And circadian is from the two Latin words circa and diem, which mean around the day. I'm sure everybody has, all our listeners probably have a little bit of, have at, at least know the word diem. Uh, but circa means around, cir, uh, circadian means around the day. And it means basically how your body behaves and reacts around the day. And we tie it to sleep because uh, in the book of the week that I'll talk about at the end of the show, uh, this uh, Dr. Stanley Corin, who is a professor at, um, he's a professor in Vancouver, British Columbia. I, I'm not going to say what university and screw it up, but he, he's looked at some studies uh, like this where they've basically taken people and put them in caves and left them in total darkness, left the lights on all day, or, or given them ability to turn lights on and off. And if, there's, if you're in a cave with no other stimuli, with no ability to tell time, that was another facet, people would go to bed within about 10 minutes of the same time every single night, night after night after night. Uh, your body has a routine that it, that it gets into, and that's when it wants to go to sleep, and, and you kind of need to honor that. You know, what's funny, you said at the the beginning of the show, we talked about one of those truths of of life that maybe we had one every day. I'm going to give another one. Um, One of the greatest truths of biology, or perhaps the truth of biology, is that all life is one. At some predeterminate point in our far distant past, 
billions of years ago, some little bag of chemicals twitched to life. And from that moment, you know, cleaved in half and started to replicate. And everything is from that. Well, what is one thing that all biological life has in common? The same um, solar calendar that we're stuck with, right? The revolution of the earth around the sun and the day and the night. And that's why all life forms from plants to animals, just about every single life form on earth follows the same uh, restful pattern, right? Uh, well, to to a degree, and I think sometimes we are too smart for our own goods. I think I think almost universally, yes, with the exception of us. And now we have iPhones, and we have Netflix, and we have Xboxes, and we have all these distractions, all these things that our uh, our cognitive self says, hmm, I would like this is more important to me than sleep. Uh, so I'm going to stay up doing this instead. And also due to our especially due to our American Protestant work ethic, this isn't the case in all countries, but do like in, in the U.S., we are one of the only species on the planet that sleeps in a single phase. Most animals are at least diurnal, meaning they have, they sleep twice throughout the day instead of trying to get it all in one big whack. Um, we, are, we are the only animal that does that. Uh, but if you look at places like Spain, where they still siesta, um, if you look at uh, some of uh, some of the studies on hunter-gatherer tribes, they nap throughout the day. Uh, so already we're starting out kind of at a deficit. We're trying to get all the sleep in one big chunk. So we need to kind of make the most of it. Yeah, we do need to make the most of it, man. So um, when you talk about making the most of it, I guess we're talking about a preparatory phase, right, to get ready for bed. Yeah, I, I would I would say so. So what uh, I, I know you have a lot lot of thoughts on this. What would be your um, what's your best advice for this? Well, I'm looking at our notes, and I agree with all this. And I'll I think let's just talk a little bit about it. So getting exercise, you know, I uh, normally will work out three days a week. Some of the literature I read prior to prior to the show was they suggest that your uh, exercise is done before two p.m. So I'm a big get up in the morning early and get the exercise done and then go to work. So that seems to meet the requirements of getting the uh, your physical exercise done before 2 p.m. But I know a lot of guys, one of my very good friends, uh, you know, he is a workout at night kind of guy. And then he believes that he makes his body physically tired. But I would also believe that you also jumpstart a lot of metabolic processes that can benefit you early in the morning that probably later in the day uh, can hamper a full restful night's sleep. Would you agree with that? I I would totally agree with that. And I I ran across that too. I didn't put it in the notes. I ran across that too. And maybe I just agree with you out of my own kind of self-serving. I've that's when I like to work out too. I, after basically after four in the afternoon, I'm not good for anything. Uh, and I am definitely not dragging my butt to the gym at, at six o'clock at night, but I, I totally agree with you. But the overall point, uh, that I also agree really strongly with is make your body physically tired and you'll have less of a difficult time going to sleep, being mentally tired because you've been staring at a computer all day, or you've been, uh, I don't know, doing some mental task at your job all day makes you tired, makes you sleepy. But if you're not exhausting your body, you're going to have a harder time uh, putting it into kind of a restful state. 
I, I, I'm, I'm not using good terminology here. I, I'm not really equipped with the language to describe this adequately or medically, but bottom line is make your body physically tired. Well, we're generalists, and we've made that very clear. So uh, if, you, if you're not hearing this, a certain variety of professorial words, and I apologize, but I will also tell you that you know we're all a slave to our hormones, and that's not my opinion. That's, that's, there's a lot of research on that. And, you know, the hormone in men, the testosterone peaks around 6 a.m. So why not take advantage of that testosterone peak and work out, you know, and you'll see a lot of benefits throughout the day. So we want to get good exercise, right? That's going to help us sleep better. That's going to improve our our physical and cognitive abilities throughout the day. It's also going to make us physically tired. What's the next thing we need to do to prepare for bedtime? Well, what I put on the notes is eat food. Not processed bullshit. And and I'm not talking about what you eat right before bed, or I'm not going to get into whether you shouldn't eat after 6 o'clock or, or any of that stuff. We can talk about diet and all that, um, fasting and stuff later on in, in another show. But eat real food. Uh, and I we, we will definitely do a show about this. I'm a firm believer in cooking. I cook for myself almost every single day, um, unless I'm on the road. I am not going to McDonald's. I'm not calling Uber Eats. I'm not, unless it's a special occasion, I'm going to make my own food. I'm going to know exactly what's in it. And it's not going to be processed packaged stuff that I take out of the freezer and throw in the microwave. It's going to be real food. I think that affects, that absolutely affects your, uh, your gut fauna. Basically, they survive on fiber that you eat. So I eat a ton of brown rice, a ton of, legumes, uh, a ton of um, leafy greens and, and all this other stuff. I eat a lot of stir fries and crap like that um, because those influence your hormones greatly. They do, man. And I come from a, a um, my genealogy uh, is pr- everybody lives to be in their 80s and 90s. And I've looked at that and it's it's irrespective of how much they weigh, what their body mass index is and all these things. But one thing that my ancestry had in common is they they were farmers. They grew their own food. They didn't put pesticides on it. They grew their animals. They harvested their own animals. So there was no hormones pumped in these animals. So when you talk about processed food as as close as you can get to the farm is what you need to be trying to do. I think that and I'm not shitting on all GMOs because humans have genetically modified organisms for millennia now. It's nothing new, uh, but I would try to stay away from the uh, the Monsanto processed weird shit out there and eat whole foods too, right? We're talking about an apple, a pear, uh, a rice, not something that, well, it's got rice in it, and if you just tear the plastic off and put it in the microwave... Look at the sodium content in that shit. What do you think that's doing to your body? If it's preserving that food, what's it doing to you? Man, we, we are definitely going to do an episode on this. And I, I, the way I explain this to people is look at your cart when you're checking out at the grocery store. If you look at mine, it's full of ingredients. It's full of eggs and bags of rice and bags of beans. And it's full of ingredients, raw ingredients that I have to cook and turn into something else. And I look at everybody else and it's bags and boxes and wrappers and not everybody else, obviously. And I I don't mean to be on my high horse too much, but that is kind of the American diet. And I I guess my advice generally would be go to the grocery store and buy ingredients. Don't buy something that's ready to eat because it's probably, probably not that good for you. I've never heard that said. And I love that. It, you know, you want a grocery 
a cart full of ingredients, not a grocery cart full of processed food. Man, I love that. So, so that's the second thing, right? Food. Uh, what's the third thing? Uh, minimize the your intake of stimulants before you go to bed. So, tobacco, caffeine, uh, and I'm going to say six hours before you go to sleep. If you go to sleep at nine o'clock, uh, you you probably need to cut out the tea, the Mountain Dew, the Coke, the coffee, the whatever. Probably by two or three in the afternoon, it takes your body time to metabolize that. Uh, Those molecules are still active in your brain several hours after that, and that will absolutely impact your ability to fall asleep. Your impact, uh, it will impact the quality of your sleep, and possibly even the quantity. Because if you go to bed and wake up. 40 minutes later, and you end up being up an hour, that's definitely taking a big bite out of your quantity. And this happens to me uh, sometimes in the morning. I usually get up, have a cup of coffee, work on, you know, editing a podcast or whatever. And usually I I take a nap almost every single day. So usually around 10, uh, 10 or 11, I'll try to take a nap. And if I've had two cups of coffee that morning, there's a vast difference in the nap I'm getting that second time. It's like I have these really vivid dreams and and I don't consider myself that susceptible to caffeine. I I, I love coffee, and I, I you know this, Rich, for me being at your house. If there's a pot of coffee on, I'll drink I'll drink cup after cup until it's gone. Uh, so I'm not that sensitive to caffeine, but I absolutely notice a difference when I try to sleep with caffeine still in my body. Well, one of the things I learned from doing the the 23andMe and and they're not a sponsor of the show, 23andMe. If you want to be a sponsor, give me a call. Uh, we'll talk, But because uh, I think it's pretty cool to understand your, genet- your genetic uh, preceptibility uh, to certain things. And I am, I do react extremely harshly to caffeine. I love, my, I love my coffee in the morning. And I think there's a lot of benefits to coffee and tea when it comes to antioxidants for your body. So I think there are great things. But like you said, Justin, at 2 o'clock is my cutoff. I, I consume no caffeinated beverages after 2. And um, one of the things that when you talk about alcohol, now I do have, as you know, I'm pr- pretty weird about it, but although I'll, I'll screw up every now and then, three ounces of alcohol every night, and I try to get it consumed prior to like 8 o'clock. Um, now, again, that's just Rich's rule. I haven't done any research on, on that, but the, the three ounces I have, but not the time that I cut it off. One of the things that I learned... Um, there was a guy that I was in the Marine Corps with, a good friend of mine, um, that he would make these drinks. It was vodka and Red Bull, and he called them lab rats. And the first time I had a lab, I didn't, I didn't know why he was calling it that, but guess what happened around one or two in the morning? I started twitching in bed like I was a lab rat on a wheel. I mean, it was absolute misery, and it's the worst sleep you can possibly get mixing vodka and Red Bull. Don't do it, folks. If you haven't done it already, stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, you talk briefly about tobacco. I don't know that there's any health benefit whatsoever to to uh, consuming tobacco products. If you do that, that's your jam. You do you. But for me, it, it's a non-starter. Yeah, I totally agree, man. There is absolutely zero health benefit to tobacco. It it's absolutely poison. It's poison that's sold legally. It, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's even on the market. But uh, back to the alcohol thing real quick. I, I drink also, and typically in the evening hours. Um, but I try to limit that. I don't know if I'm as rigorous as you about measuring out three exact ounces, but I, 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 I don't drink to excess. I don't, um, 
I, I try to be somewhat careful with that. And I don't drink every single night. There's a lot of nights, uh, probably more nights that I don't drink than I do. And here's why. Alcohol, a lot of people have this impression that it helps you fall asleep. What it actually does is sedate you. Alcohol is both a sedative and a stimulant, but that sedative effect is what people are after when they try when they, they have a nightcap or whatever. And sedation, being sedated is not the same thing as being asleep. Your brain can't go into dream phase sleep or uh, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, when you're sedated. And that's ba- if you've ever seen an alcoholic, and I have, I have seen this up close and personal. If you've ever seen an alcoholic having delirium tremens, what basically happens is you have deprived your body for so long of the ability to go through REM sleep and actually dream that your brain is just like, fuck it, we're just going to start dreaming while this dude's awake. And that's why you have these violent hallucinations and, and all these other crazy things that happen during that during that phase. And uh, any amount of alcohol bef- immediately before bed is probably not good. I don't know what time you go to bed, Rich, but if you're finishing up by 8 and you've got a couple hours to alcohol metabolizes in the body pretty quickly, um, especially in, in a reasonable quantity like three ounces. So I, I know you start your day with coffee and end it with scotch, and I I, I appreciate that. But, um, but yeah, if you can do without the alcohol before bed, that's probably the best case. And if you must have it, uh, I would say do so in moderation. Yeah, moderation is huge, man. I, want, I, I think we need to do a podcast on the health benefits of alcohol consumption because there are some really surprising benefits of consuming alcohol whether it's red wine or or whatever Uh, i think we should do that what do you think absolutely agree man another thing is i i do that and i uh having raised my children to see like this is what responsible alcohol consumption looks like if if i'm out if i'm going to have a a glass of wine or whatever dinner i will not drive period now that part of that is from being a police officer and arresting dozens if not hundreds of people for uh, for DUI but but the other thing is I, I want to show them that you can enjoy alcohol responsibly and get the benefits with without uh, the harmful side effects so those are the minimizing consumption the next thing we need to talk about is establishing some sort of routine that prepares us for sleep right yeah and and we've got a whole big section about this uh, a, a little further down but yeah you want to basically prime your brain to sleep before you actually crawl in the bed. You want you want to start giving your brain those clues that, hey, it's time to power down. It's time to go to sleep before you actually get in bed. And this will help you fall asleep faster and get qualitatively better sleep. And then the other thing, and this is a thing I learned. I don't know if you know this, Rich. I did, uh, I did uh, a pretty good amount of sleep studies and, and sleep therapy and whatnot for a little while. Uh, trying to get my sleep uh, right, so I, I, I am I'm an absolute believer in this is blue light. So your TV, uh, your your television, your iPad, your phone, your tablet, your computer, all of these things emit light that's on a blue wavelength, and it gives it that crystal clear look of that screen and all that stuff. But um, and I've posted a link here that will be in the show notes at acrossthepeak.com to a Scientific American article that explains blue light and what it does to your brain. So basically, light is our brain's biggest cue that it's time to go to bed. It's time to go to sleep. When it gets dark, our body automatically starts these physiological processes that I talked about earlier uh, 
And the color of light that that we are most sensitive to is light that's on that blue spectrum. Uh, so it suppresses melatonin production. And they that uh, article talks about a study where they took some participants. They gave them no choice about what time they went to bed and what time the lights went off. Let's just say arbitrarily it was 10 p.m. And one group they gave electronic devices to. The other group they gave paper books to. So it was time to go to bed. They all went to bed at the same time. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. So the people that had been using blue light emitting devices uh, had lower melatonin production. They took longer to get to sleep. They got less sleep, less REM sleep. And when it was time to wake up, they it was actually much harder for them to wake up than the people that had read books the, the previous evening. So if you're one of those people that sleeps through like eight alarms, this is probably at least a part of your problem. And also you got to realize this is a tightly controlled experiment where they had no control over staying up later or whatever. So real world, you get sucked into that one more game of Candy Crush or, or whatever you're playing, and then one more after that, and then one more after that. That's another way those devices just eat into the amount of sleep that you get. And melatonin, for the listener that may not be familiar with it, it's a it's a hormone, if I'm not mistaken, that it's produced in the pineal gland in the brain, right, that uh, regulates sleep. Is that correct? I believe so. I, I'm not going to swear to that, but you're probably right. Okay. I think I am. Uh, so one one thing you can do for this, so if you have a MacBook or or an iPhone or iPad, those all have a setting called night shift that will turn off those blue lights. And I've, I've basically just set all my devices to be on night shift all the time. So I don't have to remember to do it or in case I decide to go to bed early or, or whatever. Uh, basically I just set the clock to turn night shift on at midnight and to turn it off at 11:59 PM. You can't set it to be on all the time. Uh, so basically that's my workaround for that. But uh, still probably not the best thing to be looking at that, that MacBook Pro on your lap in bed, even if night shift is on. Yeah, and if you're low-tech like, like my wife and I, what we've done is I took a roll of black electrical tape, and we turned the lights off, and I went around and I cut little two-inch strips of this, or one-inch strips, and everywhere we saw a light emitting from some sort of electronic gadget in our room, and there are more than you would imagine that there are, I put a little piece of tape over it, and then so that way we never have to worry about it again. Because do you really need to see the little blue light on your uh, desktop computer to know that it's on or not? I mean, some of that's ridiculous. Yeah, they're they're yeah. <laughs> I, those things drive me crazy in hotel rooms. They'll put a, an alarm clock on the nightstand that might as well be a spotlight. You could almost read by the damn thing. I, I and I'm I will always throw this thing in the drawer and close it or pile a couple towels over it or whatever I got to do to get rid of that light. But I'm, I'm, I'm all about my room being very dark, which I guess kind of segues us in pretty good to the next section, which is kind of setting the stage, uh, for sleep, which I, I, you can probably talk about this quite a bit. Uh, so why don't you take this one? Yeah. Um, you, you and I were talking, I think yesterday, um, I've been married for 30 years, and one of the things that we've never had a TV in our bedroom, probably until recently, maybe the last two years, and even still, I've got it above the fireplace, but I keep a cover over it, a big, uh, huge cover that I have to literally grab handles and take off and sit down in front of the fire 
because I don't want anything that's emitting from that TV that might disturb me and my wife's sleep. I want it covered the hell up. I don't want to look at the TV either. So I think that the bedroom should be for two freaking things and two things only, sleep and sex. It ain't to, to hang out. It's not a place to, to eat leftovers. It's not a place to, to go and work on your laptop, your MacBook, whatever. It's, it's when you and your, the person you're sleeping with, whoever that may be, time to shut it down, right? 100% agree. And if you, if you get your body in a routine of the only thing we ever do in this room is sleep and or have sex, your body's already primed for that. When, and, and even if you're a person that has a ton of sex, I promise you, you, ha- you sleep more than you have sex. If you set that room up as a place that the only thing you do in there is sleep, there's no distractions in there, and your brain is not wondering, hey, what, what are we doing this time? If your brain knows, like, oh, we're, we're in this room that we sleep in now, <clears throat> you, set your up, you set yourself up for success right away, man. That is such a huge facet of that. Yeah, I, there's, I'm sure there's some sort of subconscious processes that the your brain is going through that you would, you know, you don't consciously aware of. But I will tell you that that bedroom and its purpose, it should be purpose built. And uh, like I said, you know, there's the other thing, it's not on the notes, but I will tell you, I, there's certain places I like to go to sleep. I mean, you and I, having been Marines and stuff, we've I'm sure we've slept on helicopters. We've slept on ships. We've I've slept on hovercraft in the back of armored vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm I want the listener to, to know that Justin and I can sleep anywhere we need to sleep. However, is it going to be good sleep? Is it going to be good restorative sleep? Uh, that's going to impact our immune system, improve our efficiency, help our muscles recover. Hell no, it's not. So what we're, this podcast is designed to tell you how to get the optimal sleep. And in order to do that, man, you've got to limit the distractions in that damn room, right? Absolutely. And this is, I, I sent you an article about cell phone use this morning and how many, like just how long kids spend on cell phones and how it's changing a, a whole generation in that. But there's another article that I read recently that talked about how just having a cell phone on the table lowers your concentration, lowers your focus, impacts your ability to remember things just by having it there. Cause part of your brain is focused on that phone instead of being in the moment in the conversation, whatever the case may be. Uh, so yeah, keep those distractions out of the bedroom at all, if at all possible. And I, I I'm not saying don't bring your cell phone into the bedroom. I, uh, in my opinion, cell phone is a piece of, potentially life-saving equipment. Uh, my phone comes into the bedroom at night. It gets plugged in, so it's uh, on the nightstand with the alarm set, uh, and it's so it's fully charged in the morning. That's a whole rant I could go on about people that show up at the airport with 4% on their battery. and, and like just Who being... are those people, man? Who the hell are those people? <gasps> but uh, – <gasps> Minimize the distractions in your bedroom. I, I'm, I don't even own a TV. I haven't owned a TV in years. And if I did, I guarantee you where it would not be. It would not be in my bedroom. And that, what's more important to you? Uh, the ability to have higher cognitive function, better immune system, better longevity, better recovery, better sex, or being able to watch reruns of Always Sunny in Philadelphia at one in the morning. I, I, I mean, if you really want to watch it, like get up and go to the living room and watch it. Get the damn TV out of your bedroom. Agreed. Um, so 
much like you, Justin, when I walk into the bedroom at night, the phone goes on vibrate, it gets plugged in, it gets put face down, uh, and it gets put on the farthest nightstand I can get from my actual bed. And I could care less if, if it's over there vibrating with somebody calling. Anybody that knows me knows at 9 o'clock at night, I'm done. I'll talk to you tomorrow, right? Yeah, my phone goes into do not disturb. I don't I don't want to hear anything. I don't want the distraction of the vibration. I don't I don't want any of that stuff. It goes into do not disturb. I think I have it set for 10 p.m. and come back on again at, at 6 a.m. But yeah, totally agreed with that. And good idea in having it as, as far away as, as you can get it and still uh, have the alarm value. So making your bedroom dark is another thing, and I know that's on our show notes. Uh, one of the things I would say on that is, although... And we live out, you know, Justin, out in the middle of freaking nowhere. There's no city haze off in the distance anywhere. You can see the sky here. You know, I've been to Africa, man, and I have an African sky above me. I mean, that's how in the middle of nowhere I live here in Tennessee. But what I will say is it's still not as dark as I would want it to be. I have very light sensitive eyes. If anytime I'm outside, I have to have sunglasses on or I could potentially get a migraine. So I have found that wearing a sleep mask for me is the way to go to get the room completely dark. What do you think? I think that's not a bad idea, and I don't know why it has never occurred to me to try that. So what I have always done, and I I have pretty much always lived in reasonably good-sized cities, and it's I always will pick my place I live based on the amount of noise I expect. If I'm looking downtown in a big high rise or or something like that, I'm going to try to be near the top. So the noise from the street is not going to, is going to be minimal, but keeping the room dark, I have always used blackout curtains. And that is the only way to go that, that being able to make that room as dark as possible is really, really important to me. Another thing that really bothers me, I would rather have some diffuse light coming in then one pinpoint beam of light somewhere. So when I set my room up at night, I make sure when I lay down and I look up at the, basically at the outline of the curtains, there's not some little, you know, something pushed to the side. So there's just one beam of eye hitting me right in the face. Cause that, uh, and you know, we don't have this on the show notes, but, but while we're, I'm thinking through the things that the uh, habits that my wife and I do. And, and, uh, one of the things that she's gotten into in the last probably three or four years is these essential oils for stress relief. Are you familiar with any of these? Uh, vaguely, I've, I've never used any, I I'm not. So she's got this diffuser. So every night she'll put in lavender. And one of the things that she's read is that lavender has been shown to react the same way biochemically and reduce stress that certain anti-anxiety medications do with certain neuroreceptors in the brain. So armed with a little bit of scientific credibility, I have found that it does help me go to sleep. Now, that may be my own anecdotal evidence, but I will tell you that there has been some uh, research done on it, and it seems to work, and it is actually helping people with insomnia. I might have to try that. I might have, like anything to improve the quality of my sleep, and I get pretty good sleep, but anything I can do to make it a little bit better is it, like pays big dividends in absolutely everything else. I, I'm, I might have to give that a try. One other thing that you told me, um, that, that is also not in the notes here, but I thought of when I was talking about trying to pick the places I've lived based on the, the, the amount of noise I expect around that place is sound. And you use a white noise machine. Is that right? Yeah, I do. I, it's actually, um, 
I have used white noise machines. I don't have one right now. The last one broke. But what I do is I turn. We have an antique fan in our room, our our bedroom. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's it's our whole house is like an antique farmhouse. So I've got like an antique fan, and it makes this nice little consistent humming noise all night long, and provides a little bit of airflow across my wife and I. And I find that 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 little bit of noise, and I don't. Unfortunately, I haven't done any research on what that might do for you, but it seems to really help. Well, I, I think it, I think it's just a, and scientifically, yeah, I don't, medically, I don't, I have no idea, but anecdotally, what I'll tell you, and I don't, I don't have one, but I've been kind of in a similar situation uh, that you mentioned of being able to turn a fan on that kind of creates a hum. It lessens those noise spikes or, or the way your body ex- experiences those noise spikes of someone yelling down the street or a horn honking or whatever noise, or a car driving by really fast or whatever noise you might happen to that, that would otherwise be really out of place in complete silence. It, it kind of helps to, I don't know, norm that a little bit, if that makes sense. And, and again, I don't, I don't know if there's been any studies done or any research done on whether those actually improve your sleep or not, but I think they would probably help you, if nothing else, at staying asleep. And unlike you, I've never really lived in a city, in a downtown type thing. So last year um, when we were in Edinburgh, we stayed right downtown, and Edinburgh is at a latitude that they don't have air conditioners, so... We just opened up the window, and but we were right, like on the Royal Mile. So all the party goers, everybody leaving pubs, and all the commotion all night long. I mean, I had my sleep mask, but I I didn't prepare for that. Well, the next morning, I got a set of earplugs, and and that took care of that. But that might be something that uh, the listener might want to look into, and a, a little set of foamy earplugs. Yeah, it definitely cannot hurt, and I've I've absolutely slept with those before. Um, so you mentioned something else with that fan that I wanted to hit on, and that is basically making, like you said, it uh, it stirs a little air across you, and making your bedroom cold is is a, is also a thing you should do. That is another natural mental cue that your brain takes in that it's time to go to bed because evolutionarily we've slept outside. We've slept much closer to the elements than we do now. And what happens when the sun goes down, almost regardless of where you are, what time of year, it gets cooler. And that's a clue to your body that it is time to go to sleep. So uh, I typically, I operate with a pretty warm house during the day in the summer. I, I, uh, largely just because I'm a cheapskate and uh, I, I try to live just a little bit over the edge of what's comfortable and accept being like a little bit warm all day. Uh, and in the winter, try to be a little bit cool all day and insulate my body rather than heat up the whole house. But, uh, um, but at night, that goes out the window. If it's cool enough to open the windows up and get natural air and cool it off, that's what I'll do. Uh, otherwise, the air conditioner is going to go on and it's going to cool the bedroom down uh, to help me get a better night's sleep. This, to me, uh, being dark and being cold are probably the two most important things to me. Now, this is anecdotal. I'm sure there's science to it. And you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know about your experience in the Middle East, but some of the coldest places I've been are you know, the winters I've spent in the Middle East, because you wouldn't think that a place that gets to be 120 in the shade during the day would plunge down to almost 30 at at night, but it does. 
so like you said, as the sun goes down, no matter where you're at, you're going to see that. And that's when we slept. So that's biologically, that's what our body is more accustomed to. So one of the beautiful things about the way that I heat my home in the winter is we heat it with a wood-burning stove. So our bedroom is is uh, far away from where the wood-burning stove is, and it does a great job of radiating heat throughout the house, with the exception of our, to our bedroom. And that's an awesome thing. So in the winter, when we shut that door to our bedroom, the temperature will drop to you know probably in the 50s in our bedroom. And I get the best night's sleep of my life during the winter. So I always look forward to the winter here, if for nothing more than some awesome sleep. Yeah, yeah. You and me both, man. Actually, when I slept in your house in that bedroom upstairs, if that door is not open and it's not getting that heat from the wood-burning stove, it is pretty chilly in that room. And, man, I slept like a log in there. Yeah, which, you know, probably we don't have this on the nose, but uh, we should probably talk about like a mattress or something. Now, um, I use, uh, now this may be specific to everybody, but I have found that the memory foam mattress that we use works phenomenally well. I have a memory foam pillow, uh, but some people don't like that. Some people do. I find that it works really good for me. What are you What are you sleeping on? Uh, I sleep on a memory foam mattress as well. Actually, I, it's a Brooklyn bedding memory foam mattress. It's one of those beds you order through basically through Amazon.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I, I know every podcast is sponsored by some mattress company. We are not. But uh, it's a Brooklyn bedding mattress, and uh, the only complaint I have about foam generally, because I've also owned a Tempur-Pedic, is they sleep a little hot. Your body kind of sinks into into them, and they tend to retain a little bit of heat. But other than that, man, they are phenomenally supportive, comfortable mattresses. Pillows, I don't like memory foam. Uh, I'm a big down pillow person, and I use a, I think the brand is Pacific Coast. And I'll tell you, I've been sleeping on Pacific Coast down pillows for since 2000, since November of 2006, because I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast, but I stole one out of a high-end hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. And Jeez. I know, I know I'm a scumbag. Uh, I, I forgot a pillow and, and, uh, cause we were, we were out there for something and then we were going on a. Uh, up to Fort Campbell to fly with the 160th up there. And I was like, man, I'm going to be hurting without a pillow. I'm going to borrow this pillow. Uh, anyway, um, I when I got back home, I put it in a box and mailed it back to the hotel with a nice apology. No, I, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but I, I have bought several more of those pillows, and they are absolutely phenomenal. I'll make sure there's a link to those in the show notes. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I sleep on my stomach. So memory foam is, unless it's really, really thin, it's going to be too thick and it's not going to sink in enough. But down lets me start off with a really fluffy pillow. I get in my position and put my head on it, and it flattens out to pretty much right where I want it. And and I, that's probably way too much information about how I sleep. But um, know how you sleep, whether it's on your back, on your side, because the pillow does make a difference, backside or stomach. If you sleep on your side, you need a thicker pillow to hold your head up. Yeah, and I, you know, I used to be a back sleeper. I think they call it the Roman position, or I would sleep in the starfish with my hands above my head, literally underneath my head. And I I slept like that for years until I had 
some significant shoulder issues in the Marine Corps and had to have surgery. And then I transitioned to being a side sleeper. But, you know, you like you said, Justin, that's a great point. You need to know how you sleep because, and select a pillow that works good for that sleeping position. I would also tell you that one thing that uh, we do here is we will use cotton high thread count sheets through the sp- spring, summer, and then in the fall and winter we transition to flannel sheets. Uh, and I don't know, again, if there's any science to that, but I, I found that that really uh, helps with this, the seasonal changes. Do you do anything like that? I, I, I don't, man. I don't. So I kind of became a monster when I was in the Marine Corps. I was sleeping on Marine Corps-issued sleep sheets with a Marine Corps-issued wool blanket, and a, uh, a very nice young lady uh, took pity on me and bought me a set of like really high thread count sheets and a down comforter, and I was like, dude, I'm never going back. <laughs> yeah. And while we're at it, the Marine Corps, man, some of the best sleep I ever got was when we were on uh, amphibious warships. The, that, Especially being in port, that gentle rocking and it, it depending, I had a birthing uh, spot one time that was right against the hull of the ship and it was below water line too. So that meant that the cold ocean water was uh, making that steel that I was sleeping against really, really cold and that cold was radiating to me. Oh my God, I slept best of my life there probably <laughs> that's awesome man that, that that's the highest compliment i've ever heard paid to being on ship i think yeah i mean it was I, I, um one time i did couldn't do a field up i had something i i was sick and i couldn't go out with the guys so i ended up having to stay on ship and the doctor gave me some uh forget what medication he gave me and and the the birthing space because no sailors were walking through there. Nobody was interrupting my sleep. I slept for like 17 hours straight. It was absolutely phenomenal. So if, if you have a chance to, uh, to sleep on a ship, I'd highly encourage that at some point in your life. All right, man. We talked about why getting sleep is important. We talked about how to kind of set the stage and have a good conducive environment for sleeping. Basically quiet, dark, and cold. Those those would be the three big points with a mattress that works for you and a pillow that works for the way that you sleep. I know we're kind of getting in the weeds here, but again, man, I can't overstate how important good sleep is. So I'm going to say our big third category is create a bedtime ritual. So you can go a step further in priming your brain to be like, hey, it's time to sleep. We're not screwing around. We're not playing around on the computer for the next 40 minutes. We're not watching TV. We're about to go to sleep by creating a ritual of things that you do every night to help yourself fall asleep better. And I know you're big on this, Rich, but uh, uh, what what does your sleep ritual look like? Well, we already talked a little bit about it. It's, uh, you know, uh, with the alcohol consumption, walking into the room when my wife and I enter the room together, the phones get plugged up, the aromatherapy gets turned on. You know, I'll I'll put my PJs on, which is cotton shirt and a pair of flannel pajama bottoms, and we'll uh, climb in the rack. But one of the things that I don't do, my wife, uh, she'll use her iPhone a little bit, but I get that thing away from me. And I do read. Now, I know that some of the things say that you shouldn't, be reading before you go to bed, but I, I I have found that if I use a real book, I'm talking about paper pages. I'm not talking about the Kindle. Uh, if if I read that under uh, and the light that I use in my my bedroom uh, nightstand, I think is also important. 
I don't buy lights that have that blue spectrum in it. I, I use the warmer spectrum of light, and I think that it helps me. Now, does it help me retain the information that I'm reading? Probably not. I think there's a lot of uh, Mortimer J. Adler's book on how to read a book will tell you, don't ever do that if you really want to retain the information. But I have found it works great for me. Yeah, I, I would not disagree with that. So my I use the Apple bedtime thing. And it gives me a little tone 30 minutes before bedtime. So I've got a couple minutes to wrap up whatever I'm doing. Gives me that little tone. So what I do is I go brush my teeth. Uh, I go get in bed and I read until, until basically until that next little alarm goes off that says it's time to go to bed. Put the book down. I turn the light off and I go to sleep. And I try to stay very, very disciplined about this. And this does require discipline, especially when you're traveling. But this also helps when you're traveling if you have a ritual in place. When I travel, when I get into that hotel room, my little thing goes off. I put down whatever I'm doing. I close my computer, save my work, what have you. I brush my teeth and I pick up my book and read for the next 15 minutes, whatever I've got left. And that's when the light goes out. That's when the phone goes down, the book goes down. And, and that's it. So, um, I have that set on my iPhone too. What is that called? I think it's called bedtime. If you go into your alarm thing at the bottom, it's one of the options I I believe. Yeah. I I really like that. And I came upon that by accident and went ahead and set it. So it, it tells me when to to shut it down with its nice little tone. And then it wakes me up in the morning at the time that I've already set it to wake me up. And the way that I've got it waking me up is you can select like natural sounds. So it will gently, you'll hear, Crickets turn into like songbirds and, you know, the, all the sounds of a natural morning. Yeah. And that, and what that thing will also do is if you wake up in your phone, or, I'm sorry, if you wake up at three in the morning and hit your phone to see what time it is, if you uh, get up at two o'clock in the morning and surf the internet for an hour or whatever, it also tracks that too. And it shows you when you're asleep and when you're not. It tells you how much sleep you actually got based on when you went to bed. Even though it told you to go to bed at ten o'clock, if you didn't go to bed until eleven, it's gonna it's gonna calculate that because it knows it it has the accelerometer that sees you moving around when you open the phone up, all that stuff. It knows when you're in bed and when you're not, so gives you decently good granularity on that without getting as as you know maybe in the weeds or intrusive as like a, a Fitbit or one of those body worn sleep trackers that you wear during your sleep, but uh, really, really neat capability, uh, capability there. And, uh, I swear by that because sleep is so just so incredibly important to me. So, um, like I say, this does require some discipline. Some nights you're not going to want to go to bed and I don't stick with this every single night. When I was down at your place, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I think, I think that first night we sat there on the porch till, I don't know, 11 o'clock or midnight, uh, which is not my normal bedtime, but, uh, uh, it, it's easy to get back in that routine if you already have it established. Um, if you're just trying to establish this, my challenge to you, my recommendation for you would be jot down some things that you want to do before bed. You know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go tuck the kids in. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to, I don't know, you don't have to read, whatever it is, uh, and, and start integrating that into your life. Figure out what a realistic time for you to get in bed is while still getting that that enough amount of sleep. All the other bullshit you're doing, 
that is eating into your sleep is probably just that. It's probably not meaningful stuff that's actually making you healthier and happier. It's probably just filling some time in your day that you could be using for sleeping. So find the time to get enough sleep. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I I wore a Fitbit uh, when I slept for probably about a year. Uh, I didn't find that, you know, the juice was not worth the squeeze on that one. Um, But maybe there are other gadgets out there. And if there are, you know, send them to Rich at AcrossThePeak.com. I'd love to hear about it if you've got something that you use. But I will also tell you that a lot of people think that, well, I'm a multitasker. So, see, uh, Rich and Justin, what I do, when I go to the bedroom, I actually get some work done and I do this and that. I will tell you that 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 is bullshit, you know. You need to listen to what we're saying. Your bedroom is for two things. We've already told you what those are, sleep and sex. Uh, you can do you save your multitasking for something else because this is a place where yeah at a, at a very minimum even if you're even if you're staying only getting six hours of sleep do all that other stuff outside of the bedroom because one thing that you're not doing with anything else is sleeping reserve that bedroom that that is such a major thing of being able to prime your brain to hey we're in the sleep room it's time to go to sleep uh, even if you are staying up till one in the morning preparing that report, don't do it sitting in bed. Do it sitting at the desk, sitting on your couch, wherever it is you sit with your laptop. Close that thing up before you go into the bedroom and then go to sleep. Yeah, man. So uh, I think that's about it, man. You want to talk about the book of the week? Yeah. So the book of the week this week is fittingly called Sleep Thieves, an eye-opening exploration into the science and mysteries of sleep by Dr. Stanley Corin, and I, I mentioned this a moment ago. I read this book years ago in probably, I'm going to say 2002 or 2003, and man, this was one of the most fascinating books I'd ever read. Uh, Dr. Corin talks about all these studies, like the one that I mentioned um, with the people in the caves tracking their circadian rhythms. He talks about people that have tried to completely deprive themselves of sleep. And one thing that we do know is the body absolutely requires that you will die if you deprive yourself of sleep long enough for for no other physiological reason other than your brain desperately needs that sleep and it's not getting it. People have died from sleep deprivation. Um, It is a fascinating, fascinating book. And if you, if you want something really interesting to read that talks about sleep, that will teach you some things, could not recommend this strongly enough. There will be a link to this in the show notes at acrossthepeak.com forward slash E007. That's acrossthepeak.com forward slash Echo 007. Hey man, I am definitely going to check that book out. Listen, um, that's that's all we got, right? I mean, is there anything else we want to talk about? I think that's it for today, man. Hey, listen, guys and gals, be safe out there. And if you can't be safe, be deadly. And if you like the show, go ahead and share it with somebody else and give us a review on iTunes. That helps us climb the charts, man. And with that being said, be safe, my brother. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous.